This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hear more from Free FM. For a small monthly fee, you can become a patron and support independent community media. Go to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out how. Kia ora. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0. Ko Dan Armstrong to What a six weeks it has been. I brought The Locals back so you could have a better understanding of what was happening in the Waipa as the local papers stopped. I think we've done that and brought you updates and support for the area. So now things are returning to normal, well, ever so slowly. Let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is our final COVID-19 episode. The Waipa District Council is an integral part of our community, but they and the services provided have changed dramatically, and that's required leadership. To get a sense of how governing the council has been, I spoke with Kakapuku Ward Councillor, Susan O'Regan. Can you give us an idea of how governing the district has changed in the last six weeks? Oh, look, it's changed enormously on, on some levels, but I guess um, at its essence, it's not unchanged at all. Um, we meet, obviously, um, from social distances uh, via Zoom meetings along with the rest of the country. Um, originally, there was a... a Um, concern around how we would uh, affect any decisions made in that great unknown at the beginning. So we um, established uh, an executive committee which was um, headed by um, the mayor and um, comprised of the chairs of each of the subcommittees of council. So we sort of became a a cardinal's committee, if you like, for council to make decisions um, in lieu of being able to uh, uh, reach a quorum, actually. There were quorum issues that were um, struck really early on because the legislation that had been in existence at the time said that somebody attending a meeting via an audio visual link was not sufficient for a quorum so we were kind of hamstrung there but then we on the other hand we weren't able to meet in person because that would go against what the restrictions were so that essentially we, we set up this cardinals committee who were happy to meet um, and then the legislation changed and it, was, it wasn't needed in the end and we were all able to now meet as a full council and subcommittees of council via Zoom. Um, the business has remained unchanged. Obviously, there's a bit of a shift in our focus around the, you know, the unknowns of what we're doing now um, in terms of um, you know, the first issues, I guess, were around the um, welfare, civil, uh, civil defence and emergency management aspects of um, response to, to the um, pandemic response um, and of course now we're shifting perhaps more into turning our heads towards economic recovery and coincidentally it coincides with our annual plan process so look to an extent it changed in terms of our physical interactions but the business itself was unchanged and it was quite a good test in a way of our civil defense and emergency management protocols and procedures which I think I can go out on a limb and say have been pretty exceptional so um, we were we were well prepared for for that and capable of pulling in the expertise needed to um, respond in, in terms of those welfare needs pretty promptly. So 
yeah, that, that was unique and new, but everything else was pretty much business as usual to a, to a manner of speaking. And are there any existing issues that haven't been remedied yet? Are there still things you're working through? Nobody knows the, econo the full economic impact of you know, potential six-week shutdown. Um, six weeks or more even. Um, we're in the throes of getting um, targeted um, advice, economic advice from our um, economist advisors we, we seek um, um, expertise from. Um, we've obviously had to um, disestablish in a, in a practical sense all of the capital works that were being undertaken at the time. So if, if anybody's familiar with the district, you'll be aware of the, um, of the water pipe coming through from um, Pokirimu through to Te Omutu to provide it with water from the Waikato River. That was all mothballed, um, um, as were um, the significant works taking um, place specifically in Waikere, uh, about the Waikere wastewater line coming through to Te Omutu, the Cambridge swimming pool. Now, we had a lot of capital works on the go, so they all had to be disestablished, and that all comes at a cost, dare I say it. And now, thankfully, we're able to subject to there being safe um, practices, re, you know, kick them off again, re-establish them again. But, you know, those sorts of things all had to just be stopped. Um, so, yeah, different challenges. Um, and it's just kind of a wait and see game in terms of seeing where the economic impact lies. Is there something about this immediate period, even if there is that element of uncertainty, that you're looking forward to, that you're optimistic about? Um, yeah, look, I mean, we've, we've put in um, a significant um, amount of work um, and submitted um, funding from central government as part of their um, local economic stimulus package to the tune of about 200, just under $215 million. We're not sure at the moment whether there'll be strings attached, whether any of those will be required to be paid back. Some of it we expect it will. We don't know how successful we might be in any of those um, projects that we've claimed money for. So there's a possibility that we could realise a lot of our projects and um, infrastructure spends and maintenance of our halls and renovation and restoration of, of parks and what have you and construction of playgrounds. They, it's possible they could come in a more readily sort of time frame and be funded when in the past it was just part of a 10 year, uh, 10, a long term plan out, you know, that rolls out over the, over the 10 years. So there might be some more certainty around some projects if we're fortunate enough to get attract funding, which may have been a little more uncertain um, prior to this. But, you know, I'm sure there'll be a lot more um, positive things come of this, but I guess right now it's still, it's just such a hard, um, crystal ball gazing um, exercise to see what the full economic impact is. Um, I think we're fortunate as a district, just as a side, that we will come off this out from this much better than some, um, and um, that's on account of um, our reliance on primary sector and food processing in the district, and that our unemployment rates were reasonably low relative to national numbers um, prior to COVID. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm sure we'll see more positive signs, but at the moment it's just hard to be certain about what those will be. Looking 
at this, and I know it's probably too soon to make assumptions, but when you reflect on the last six weeks from a governance standpoint, is there something that you've learned that you never would have comprehended or have to grapple with when you were first elected to council back in 2013? Oh, look, I don't think anybody would have uh, foretold this, um, you know, once in a hundred year um, significant event, both in a social, um, medical and economic sense. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a significant event by anybody's calculation. But from a governance perspective, I guess I'd have to say, I've, I, I kind of have potentially in the past underestimated the collegiality that you have as, as, a, as elected members, for example. I miss the opportunities to just chew the fat or sound out other, my colleagues on other issues that we're addressing at the time. That's really hard to do remotely. Um, and it's really hard, for example, I chaired this strategic planning and policy committee meeting yesterday, you know, by, via Zoom. And, it, and although the technology is amazing and, and I think it went pretty well, it is really hard. There are so many um, non-verbal cues that you rely on and that human element of being around people that I think really has an unquantifiable um, and unexplainable kind of glean over some of your decision making and the way we all interact and I, I guess I really miss that and I suppose we've probably underestimated it. So whilst Zoom can offer you these great opportunities to meet virtually and you know and it's all fantastic, there's a certain element that's missing and I think, yeah, I don't know what you'd call it, but I, I yeah, I miss that. Thanks Susan. And if you want to get in touch with the Waipa District Council, call 0800 924 723 or email info at wipardc.govt.nz. I think it's time for a musical interlude, and Susan's choice is pretty fitting as we head towards level two. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM, and this is George Michael's Freedom.
You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0, and that was George Michael's Freedom. One of the most fascinating aspects, in my opinion at least, how the labour market has changed in recent weeks. The Young Workers Resource Centre provide information and support to young people in the workforce, and I had a chat with Tony Stevens from the centre for an overview of labour during lockdown and where to next. How has labour divided in the last month? Well, from my lens, it's, it's interesting to see who has become classified as an essential worker in the last month and how we value labour and value um, the people doing work that we previously, if we're honest with ourselves, looked down on. You know, the, the sort of jobs that uh, are typically paid very low wages, like supermarket workers, people working in factories, uh, warehouses and, and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of these roles have really not been given much value. They're, they're considered stepping stone roles, often populated by people that don't have PhDs. Um, uh, you know, young workers starting out their employment journey, or quite often older people um, at, towards the end of their employment journey. Overnight, these people have become essential to our economy. Um, that's how we've been looking at them. T to be honest, they always were essential, you know. Um, there's not a lot we can do without food supply, just to continue using that, that um, supermarket example. Um, but I take no small pleasure in the fact that young workers, who of course my organisation, the Young Workers Resource Centre, is sort of deeply, um, you know, that that's uh, empowering them is, is what we do, is, is our is our mission. Um, that that uh, you know, young workers have overnight become essential to our economy, and we now have to respect them as such. Of course, you know, the the medical profession is also um, they always were considered essential. I think. Um, they've enjoyed probably a little bit more public um, trust and respect as well as, as they should. Um, so, yeah, I like the kind of reframing of, of what, what kind of, what labour is actually essential to, to keep our country running and keep, keep New Zealanders healthy. <laughs> That's my favourite part about all of that. And given that you represent and support young people, uh, at the same time, many of those young people, say working in as we've highlighted, are now deemed essential. How have you seen those young people being treated? You know, I know you just highlighted that, you know, we're considering that they deserve more respect. What is actually happening to them on the ground? Uh, to be honest, I've not heard of a lot of mistreatment um, towards supermarket workers per se aside from the acknowledgement not not from their employers but from um from themselves and from the unions that represent them and from the public that um that they should that they're not getting paid enough for their work you know they're going they're going to work in jobs um where there's now can you know or has been at least considerable risk to their to their persons um, because of COVID-19 and, and, you know, working in a supermarket, there's people streaming in and out uh, of, of those, those places, you know, all day, 
really busy places. Um, so the risk of contamination is quite high. You would have thought um, that they kind of became, supermarkets have kind of become the de facto town halls or community centers of, <laughs> of the lockdown. Um, often the place where people, the only place where people get any kind of human interaction outside of their bubbles. Um, but yeah, like, like I said, they, those workers have, they don't get paid enough. They don't even get paid a living wage um, in most cases. Um, get paid a, around that kind of breadline, that minimum wage mark, and, and people have recognised that they should get paid a hell of a lot more, particularly with the increased um, safety risks. So, I mean, that's one thing that's been picked up, but it's, it's, it's the workers and the young workers who um, are not working, like, that are working in, like, uh, industries like hospitality and stuff that have, uh, that where we've seen, and, and for small businesses, um, not so much those larger companies, but working for small businesses that we've seen more of the kind of dodgy exploitation, you know, that, that, that's kind of read its ugly head um, in, in this time, you know, during the lockdown. That's, that's where I've noticed most of it. And uh, briefly, what do you think are the key things we can lobby for and ideally hope to see change? and the need to improve workers' rights, especially for young people? One really tangible thing I think we can do is, is implement statutory redundancy payouts into the New Zealand um, employment legislation framework. As it stands, if you're made redundant, you don't, there's no obligation for the employer to give you any redundancy payment, none whatsoever. And we are one of the only, I guess, first world, you know, developed nations in the world where there is no, no compulsory government legislated redundancy um, payout scheme. So, and, and a lot of workers have been made redundant in this situation. Um, you could offset the damage of that by having redundancy payments. And um, I think that that is something that it's kind of been discussed uh, by the government a little bit, but they haven't made any signals or strong signals, or they haven't they haven't mooted it. But I know they're having discussions about it. But I think that we need to kind of um, probably push that up uh, the priority list a bit further. Um, that's definitely a kind of I think that I don't think you'd get too much opposition to that either. There'll be the usual dissenting voices in the business community, but I think um, New Zealanders by and large will probably get on board with that. That's one really obvious tangible um, change. Um, the other, the other thing is that you know how we treat casual workers um, is is a big problem, um, and I think that you know too often it ends up in one of those zero hour contracts type type situations. And we did the law was changed to kind of address that a few years ago. Um, and it said something to the effect of, so when these changes come in to prevent um, people from being offered zero contracts, the, the law has changed basically to say something like, if, if, keyword being if, if there are agreed hours between the parties, they must be put into the employment agreement. But that's a big if. What if there is no agreement between the parties, um, then there's not gonna be any minimum hours put in the contract. 
so just changing some of the language there, I think, like, um, yeah, so those, those, that, 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 I think that they're, unless um, the employment relationship is going to be a genuine, true, casual situation where that uh, worker is not being expected to have regular shifts and they are just supposed to be a fill-in if needed, if available, um, then if it's not that kind of true casual situation, then they're absolutely 100% needs to be a rock-solid guaranteed amount of hours in the contract. I think um, that needs to be addressed by, by government. Thanks, Tony. And if you want to get in touch with the Young Workers Resource Centre, they're on Facebook and at ywrc.org.nz. As always, I have your local contacts. The main symptoms of COVID-19 are a dry cough, fever and breathlessness. And if you're experiencing these, call Healthline 0800 358 5453. If you're in the Waitomo, Waipa and Otrahanga areas, residents can call 0800 800 405 if you're struggling to access food, medication or other household goods and services. That's the Waikato Welfare Call Centre 0800 400 405. Additionally, the Rural Support Trust is 0800 787 254 and in an emergency call 111. Over the last six weeks I've brought you a range of information and stories about people adjusting to these extraordinary times and I hope they've helped. Most importantly, I hope the lessons we've learned, our resolve and opportunity to improve don't disappear. The locals will return, there are still more tales to be told after all. But for now, that ends season three of this little show that could. Thank you again to the team at FreeFM 89.0, Phil and Mike for supporting me, and the wider team too. There are some wonderful things happening at that station. So let's end it there. The locals will return, but until next time, thanks for listening, cheers, and ohora. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.